Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. We are mixing it up today. We, I've spent the last two plus years of the podcast really focusing on, um, you know, small animal medicine, dogs and cats, because that's predominantly what we see. But I am very excited to welcome Dr. Julia Miller, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist, on the podcast today to talk about horses. Um, she is an assistant clinical professor at Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine, and she ha- did a large animal internship and has a lot of experience um, practicing um, as a mixed animal practitioner before getting boarded in dermatology and still practices a lot with various species, dogs, cats, horses, pigs. So I'm really excited to get her expertise to talk about equine dermatology, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, thank you everyone for joining me for another episode of the DermVet Podcast. I am I'm very excited. One, we are talking about, I'm going to self-admittedly say um, my knowledge on equine, which we're going to do right now, and um, large animal is more minimal. So I am very excited to have someone who has a lot more knowledge based on that. But I I do skin test and kind of manage some horse allergies. So I can give my little input on that. Um, But I have to tell you guys, we have been blabbing for 40 minutes before even started hitting record. So I think that this is going to be a pretty entertaining podcast episode for you. And I get to welcome Dr. Julia Miller, who is a boarded dermatologist um, from Cornell University to our podcast today to talk horses. Woo! Yeah. It's good to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, you know, this is, this is great. I I have only done some small animal stuff in the two years I've done the podcast. So I was really excited when I reached out and you so graciously said yes. And you're like, we could do large animal because I have a lot of experience with that. So before we jump in, so we're going to focus on horses before we jump in, um, give us a little bit of your background of why you have this experience. Yeah. So I grew up riding horses, you know, since I was four. So I've been a crazy horse girl my whole life. So I really, I feel for horse owners. We understand each other. Um, and actually in vet school, I wanted to be an equine surgeon. So I did a large animal rotating internship at university of Georgia. And then I practiced mixed animal. So large animal, you know, pet pocket pets, farm animals, small animal, um, when I was in North Carolina and South Carolina, um, And then I kind of moved all the way over to the dark side and moved mostly to small animals and then into dermatology. So kind of my original stint as a veterinarian was as a mixed animal veterinarian with lots of large animal cases. And that's what I love about dermatology in particular is that I've been able to, of course, I love dogs and cats. They're great. Cool thing. Well, you did say dark side. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. It is true. It is true. Okay. Um, But yeah, I I love that I can still incorporate and do a fair bit of large animal derm because there's everything has skin and it's the greatest organ. So, you know, I like that I can do that. Agreed. It is the greatest. It's the biggest and the greatest organ of the body. And you're right. I mean, so, um, you know, we, I get involved um, and get asked to consult on certain things like a lot of um, allergy testing in horses, which we're going to talk about. Um, Even some zoo animal work, like, you know, they'll kind of ask for expertise and just management of some things. And what I love about it is that I feel like 
it's a very collaborative specialty. So, you know, if I consult on something like at the zoo, like I clearly am not an expert in that field, but I'm an expert on skin in general. So we can work together and really come up with that. Same when I work with horses, like, you know, I still really much want that horse veterinarian, the equine vet involved because there's a lot of things that they, you know, will help me manage through that case. So I love that. Um, so we're going to start like super simple and just start with, okay, you're going to see, you know, 20 equine derm cases. What are the most common things as a dermatologist who has an interest in equine that you will see if you just thought about your most common diseases you manage? Yeah, a lot of that's allergy. So I see a ton of horses that are allergic, either from just general environmental allergies that can present for over, you know, Uh, overall paritis or hives. I love to say horses are like the greatest hive makers that have ever existed. They make, you know, they do like donut hives and plaque hives and zebra urticaria, just the coolest. I love a horse with hives. They're beautiful. Um, And then I see a lot of horses with insect bite hypersensitivity or culoquitis hypersensitivity. That is super duper common. And then another thing that we are, are asked to consult on, I mean, weekly, I'm, I'm fielding calls about is, is bad distal limb dermatitis or scratches. That's another condition I see all the time. And then to kind of round it out, uh, sarcoids, the tumor, the tumor is another one that I see a ton of and a lot of consults on what to do about those. That's where surgery and derm kind of come together to try to manage those cases. Yeah. You are making me have flashbacks of boards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I used to know a lot more ins and outs of this, or I'm like, oh yeah, I remember having to know what that histopathology looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're definitely going to dive into a lot of that. So if we just think of a lot of these things, so you kind of mentioned dermatitis, allergies. Um, so certainly horses can struggle with things like pyoderma, like we any really animal can, um, you know, it's a little bit sometimes more complicated to kind of manage because there are a lot of animal, uh, they're big. So kind of depending, obviously, whether it's more focal or more diffuse, if you're going to manage a pyoderma in a horse, say, you know, has allergies, some form of reason to have a dermatitis, um, what are maybe some topical things you would reach for, say it's more focal or a systemic, if you really feel like you had to. Yeah. I, the good news about most horse owners is that unless it's like upstate New York now, where it's currently 20 degrees and bathing is like, just not an option, unless you're at a very lovely, fancy barn with heated water. And even then it sounds kind of miserable right now. Um, if it's not this time of year, most horse owners are so good at bathing and are very capable of it. So I do use quite a lot of topicals and I love medicated shampoos, but you have to leave them on for that 10 minutes. So a big part of when I'm teaching a client, especially a horse client, I will literally set a timer for 10 minutes while we're talking and say, okay, now the timer's up. That's how long you need to leave your shampoo on your horse. And they're always like, whoa, mind blown. I never do that. So, you know, I think if you're using shampoos, they're fantastic products and I'm obsessed with them and, you know, let your horse graze for 10 minutes before you rinse it off. It's actually, I think easier than my dog. That's trying to like leap out of the tub and get water all over my house. Um, I think shampoos are awesome. There's a number of multi-species shampoos out there that have like chlorhexidine or chlorhexidine and myconazole all that's a really nice combo product for a horse because yeah they get a lot of bacterial stuff but there's also some fungal you know gunk that hangs out in the barn so it can hang on the skin so i really like the combo chlorhexidine myconazole products also the sprays and the mousses that you can use in small animal there's no reason you can't use them in horses 
There's an over-the-counter product called Vetricin that's actually sort of bleach-based hypochlorous acid. I love that. And they market that towards large animals as well. Um, and that's something that clients can get at Tractor Supply or something like that. So I really also like that shampoo and they have sprays, which are great too. So I like those topically. Um, if we need to do systemics, which sometimes you do because maybe it is winter time in upstate New York or bathing is just not a possibility or some horses hate the sound of sprayers. So you have to be kind of careful with that too. Um, good old TMS, old fashioned potentiated sulfas that uh, everybody has used since the dawn of time are really good for equine staff. I think as a first line of defense, that's what I go for is, is sulfas, but some horses can get colitis and things like that. So I actually have used injectable Exceed, which is a Septiafur, and I've had some good success if the horse can't tolerate oral antibiotics to go the route of Exceed. And on occasion, I've had doxycycline used in them. Um, also, because if you're dealing with a horse that has other inflammatory things, doxycycline is actually beautiful anti-inflammatory for horses. Uh, so it is a nice twofer as antibiotic anti-inflammatory. So that's another one that I've used a fair bit for systemics. Yeah, I feel like a lot of... Um... Like you said, a lot of horse owners can do topically really well. Mm -hmm. And at least in some of the pyoderma that I've helped to manage, or like, you know, I've done cytology, like groin area, they absolutely can get like malassezia. So like okay. you can certainly see malassezia grow on equine skin as well. Um, so I love that you brought that up. Um, but I do feel like that they're pretty accepting of topical therapy. And it's funny because when you're even talking about some of that, um, like, let them great. I, I tell that to owners with dogs, like, yeah. you know, if it's summer and it's nice out, like my own dog is allergic, of course. Right. Like she picked well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we got pity. Yeah. We got pity. So we were asking for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I bathe her in our backyard and I mm -hmm. let her run around the backyard, like while it sits on her skin. Um, and then I rinse them and people are like, Oh, I'm like, literally super magical about the bathtub. It's just, yeah. it's contained. So it's easier for you. Like you, I've had owners with really fearful pets in the bathtub, um, that I've had them walk, like bathe them, go walk them. Yeah. I mean, sure. They'll probably get some dirt and stuff on their paws, but you're going to rinse it off anyway. Um, and so okay. I think that's a really good thing you brought up is like even horses, let them graze. Like they don't have to sit there that 10 minutes if that's uncomfortable for them. Yeah, put them in a stall. A lot of them are fine on the cross ties, you know, uh, do what braid their mane, comb out their tail, you know, treat their feet with your favorite hoof dressing, whatever it may be. There's so many things you can do in that interim. And I mean, shampoos are awesome and they work so well, but I think a lot of horse owners and dog and cat owners too, right? Like they just, they lather them up and then they shampoo it right. Or they rinse it right off. And then it's yeah. not going to be nearly as effective. So if you're going to pay money for a medicated shampoo, which I do recommend the true veterinary approved medicated ones. There's a lot of kind of weird medicated ones on the market, but, you know, talk to your, your dermatologist or your veterinarian and see what they recommend. Um, because those shampoos are great. One yeah. that I will say, I do also like Selsun Blue. I'll admit it. So if like, you can't get yourself to some medicated shampoo land, but you've got some Selsun Blue in your house, that's another one you can consider. Um, but I think shampooing is awesome and there's, and horses really tolerate it well, ex yeah. except for now in upstate New York. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those phrase and, and I'm trying to target therapy and orals get used. Systemics get used a lot more up here this time of year, just because of practicality. Yeah. I mean, that's just being realistic with people. And you know, that's, that, and that's something we always talk about when you're treating it and people ask me topical systemic, I'm like, but you're gonna have to give me a lot more than that. Like, how bad is it? What can the owner do? What will the pet tolerate? Like we, we need to jump into all of those things. So we're setting up a plan that's realistic for that owner. hundred percent. You yeah. can be the best vet in the world and prescribe the best drug that's going to fix the disease. But if your owner can't or won't give it, 
it's never going to work. So yeah. you have to work with the client and make sure that whatever plan you make is actually, you know, executable with the yeah. animal. For sure. And one thing you brought up, which I definitely want to make sure we get to talk about is urticaria and paritis and allergies, because that is something predominantly we see a lot of in equine dermatology. Um, And that's usually where I've had more experiences. I will get called out by the equine veterinarian to come skin test a horse and we'll put them on immunotherapy. And I've had, I've seen some doozies of urticaria. Like you mentioned, we always joke this one um, uh, horse I skin tested, uh, Oh gosh, probably like three years ago. Shout out to Juicy. She has, he has like the best owner ever. We had to like roadmap the skin test because he could mm-hmm. barely get off steroids like without blowing up and he had to be off him for the skin test. So mm-hmm. we're like having to like go around his hives, you know, in order to do it, but there's just no other way to really collect the information. And so they can get pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, so walk us through like the treatment options. And so when I'm thinking of these cases, you know, yes, we'll let's talk about immunotherapy for sure. Cause I personally think courses can do great on it. Oh, okay. Uh, like the, maybe some of the best cases I've had, mm-hmm. but those acute flares, we can't ignore either. So yeah. let's walk through like an acute flare, maybe how that can manage that. And then tell me your thought process on immunotherapy in these cases. Sure. I think the big thing with hives in general is you always want to think about what could be triggering the hives. And this is where I like it because we get to put on our detective hats. And, you know, the big mantra that I was taught and I think really does hold is food, bug or drug that you should be looking at those three things first and foremost. It is amazing how many times I'll say my horse is breaking out in in hives and it's like we got a new hay shipment. I just started new hay. Well, the good news is stop the new hay, you know, figure out what the offending agent is, go back to the old hay and then you have a much better chance of actually medicating and getting the horse back to where they need to be whereas if you keep feeding that old hay and there's something in that hay that ends up being the trigger you're gonna have a really hard time getting on top of the hives Um, we just had a really young horse that wasn't responding to a ton of steroids and we went back and we looked and he had a new supplement in his regimen i said you know get rid of everything i was like i want this horse on like grain and that is it like a little bit of hay if need be and it was actually a flaxseed supplement that that horse was allergic to and he now is completely off of steroids not making hives anymore and he was actually getting injectable steroids and not responding well so you know i think it's really important with hives in particular especially if they're a first-time offender and there's a lot of them to go and do your due diligence and figure out if you can see what the trigger is knowing that when we say food that could mean supplements and as much as i love horse people if they aren't giving at least five supplements, there's something wrong with them, right? Like every horse owner is giving a ton of different supplements from this thing to that thing. So remember that those can be the offending agent, the hay can, it could be new bedding that you put in. And then of course it could be, you know, the TMS that it got for its skin infection that I was treating uh, or something of that nature. So always try to find the cause. And then if the horse has very mild hives, I don't think you need to do much, to be honest with you. I think you can just monitor those. Um, If the hives are severe and really pruritic and affecting the whole body, you might want to consider steroids. Um, Steroids are the best, as you know, to, to zap the hives as fast as you can. But steroids come with risks in horses. And that if you have a horse that you're worried about laminitis, so maybe wouldn't be my first choice in a 30-year-old Cushingweed pony. You know, those are things that I do worry about. Um, but steroids absolutely can be the best thing to kind of get rid of the hives. And then horses respond decently well to some antihistamines. Um, cetirizine and hydroxazine are probably my two favorite antihistamines for horses. And so usually if I'm worried about hives, I might do some steroids and then concurrently start the antihistamine. Although remembering that 
Antihistamines are much better preventative medicine than treatment medicine. So it's going to take some time for those to build up in the system, which is why if the hives are bad, steroids are, you know, your best thing to do to treat the acute flare. And then it's not bad to do a short little tapering course to try to essentially just keep the hives at bay. But I really encourage everybody to look at the environment and make sure that you've ruled out anything new, because that is probably your key to, to treating hives super successfully. If there's nothing to change in the environment and you can't get the horse off of steroids or antihistamines or they break out in hives, that's when I then start talking about, is this allergy causing this? And do we need to talk about immunotherapy, you know, allergy testing? Yeah. And so going through allergy testing, so we've eliminated all the easy things and we are going to kind of loop back and talk about chelicoides and insect yeah. hypersensitivity. Cause like you said, that's extremely important in, in horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll test for it, like on our skin test, you know, mm-hmm. we'll look for chelicoides and other things. Um, so say that we do think we're going to have to do allergy testing. So we're walking through our skin test. We do it. We feel, find lots of different positives. Obviously we're just talking um, about environmental type mm-hmm. things. Um, how do you feel like immunotherapy goes in horses that have these issues and need to go on it? I totally agree with you. I'm obsessed with immunotherapy and horses. Yeah. It is, they are by far, they're my favorite skin tests for so many reasons. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh my God. Gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Like skin can tests. cats take a lesson, please? Yes. A hundred percent. Like <laughs> I try to teach, we actually do a fair bit. There's a practice up here that I, they'll line up a bunch of skin tests for me and we go do, do them all in one day. And it is so beautiful to see what's the seasonality what do we think is going on with the source? Oh, look at his skin tests. And it really, it checks all the boxes. And I find that they tolerate immunotherapy incredibly well, you know, local injection site reactions. Sometimes it is a horse. It's their prerogative to have a little skin reaction, but I think they tolerate it incredibly well. And man, do they respond well and fast. You know, I don't like, I always say to my owners for dogs, you know, this could take a year to take effect really in horses. I've seen in tr- tremendous improvement in as little as three months. I've seen some incredible turnarounds in horses, uh, very rapidly. So I'm for it. I think in the equine world, that is money well spent also, because if this is a competitive horse, it can't show on steroids and it can't show on antihistamines, but it can show on immunotherapy for allergies. Uh, at least at this point, you know, always check with your regulation, you know, your regulatory groups, if you want to double check that, but that's sometimes the only thing that can hold the hives at bay for those horses. And since it's legal, I, I'm so into it. I love it. And I can tinker with it. I have yeah. horses that, you know, they get less injections in the winter and I bump them up to an injection every week in the show season in the summer when the grasses and things are out more and they're maintained beautifully. So I yeah. love it. Huge yeah. Thing. I think they, I agree with you. I think they like do so well with their skin test. I mean, just wonderful. I mean, just clear as day. Um, and one thing I've noticed, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Do you see a lot of, do you have horse owners watch for delayed reactions with their skin test the day after? Cause that is one thing we know about them is that can happen. Yeah, they, they definitely can have some delayed reactions, which we don't see in the other species. And I have my clients do it. Does it, do I usually have major positives that change my immunotherapy? I can't say that I commonly do, but every now and again, there'll be a spot that really blows up that I didn't see on the initial thing. So I have clients read it out at like four or six hours post. I would love to read it out myself at four or six hours post, but that usually just doesn't fit into our schedule. Yeah. Um, and then I have them, I have the client read it out at 24 hours and then also take pictures and they yep. just say bump or no bump at the 24 hours. And sometimes I get a beautiful late phase reaction that yeah. I might actually end up including into the immunotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I agree. I've had some where like that one I was talking about, we had to like roadmap around. We just had her recheck and or his recheck and it's been a few years and it went from requirement of injectable steroids 
steroids, constantly on hydroxyzine, but needing steroids, steroids, steroids. He has not, he has not had any steroids for over like three years, two and a half years, something like that. And like the only thing he's had in two and a half years is like, I think he once had to go on hydroxyzine more because the owner was just maybe a little concerned something was popping up, but he did not break out like he used to. And it's, it's awesome. Like, it's just really, really cool. And horse owners are usually really, really good about, you know, administering injections. So that's pretty easy. Um, one little side note I'll throw in, um, one species of, I sometimes, uh, consult with some, um, exotic or zoo animals. Um, one species I've had a pretty impressive skin test on that almost reminded me of a horse was a lion just to throw that out there. Yeah. It was pretty cool. We like did it on the hip and, um, it, it popped up. It reminded me very much of like a horse. And I was like, Oh, who would have known? Um, I've only done N of one, N of one lion. So I can't talk to it too much. I've definitely Uh, met some horses that might've been part lions. (laughs) True. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so tell, so let's talk a little bit about the insect hypersensitivity because for any allergic horse, honestly, that's pretty important. But like you said, some of these alone, if you have really good, um, you know, control of insects, chelicoides, things like that, you can make a tremendous difference. So what's oh, yeah. usually the things you're reaching for or suggesting in those situations? Yeah. Insect bite hypersensitivity is a really crummy disease to be honest with you. Like it's, it's so hard because, you know, they can be alert to flies and whatnot, but with IBH, right, you know, those cute little gnats that are flying around are hard to control. They're much harder to control. So, and, the, but the key, I think to treating horses and getting, getting them over that hump is trying to do insect control. So there's a couple of things I really like. Um, kinetic vet makes something called IBH salve. They better never take that off of the market. Um, you know, hand to God, um, because it has, I think it has chlorhexidine in it, citronella, promoxine. Um, and so what's really nice about that is it's got some fly repellent. It also has some antibacterial in there, and then it has a little bit of a numbing agent so that it actually really helps the horses stay, um, a little bit less pyritic. Uh, oh, and it also has hydrocortisone. So it's, like all the things I love. Um, I also, of course, recommend like fly spraying as much as you can. And, um, Equiderma makes a lot of products that contain neem oil. And I think neem oil is actually one of the better long acting products that works pretty nicely against these guys. So there's, you know, shampoos and sprays that are great. Um, there's another product I really like called ultra boss. It's a permethrin poron. It's not the answer to the problem. Right. But I think that it kind of helps give you more fly control. All of this adds together to be like multiple tools in the toolbox. And then you hope that you get some good fly control on top of it. But ultra boss is just a poron that goes down the top line and it has some fly repellent in it. It's also, I think my favorite tick repellent. If you live in an area where ticks are a problem, horses and ticks, there's really no good tick preventatives for horses. There's a few on the market. Um, good and bad, but I think ultra boss is a pretty decent one. So I try to get a lot of fly control on the horse whenever possible. Selective stabling is so, so critical for these guys. And it usually is kind of the opposite of what your brain might think. So the little gnats feed at dusk and dawn, that's their favorite time to feed. And most horse owners in the summertime leave their horses inside during the day because that's when all the big biting, the green headed, the horse flies are out during the day. So the horse will be in the barn in the day and outside at night. And if you have your horse out at night and let's say dawn is 4 a.m., 5 a.m. in the summertime, right? Most of us are not getting up at 5 a.m. and bringing our horses in. Now, there are some people that do. Bless you if you do. That's not <laughs> um, but if you if you feed your horse at 7 a.m., it spent its dawn outside 
where it was exposed to the gnat and you want to selectively stable them and keep them inside during the gnat feeding time. So I think that's a really important thing to remember for selective stabling is it kind of can go against the intuition of most people for the when dusk and dawn is and when you want to stable. Um, fly sheets are cool. They help some, but we see a lot of belly issues. And so you really need to get a fly sheet that covers the entire ventrum, which is tough. Um, and I also like to put a big fan on the stall because gnat, they're terrible little flyers, those gnats. So if you can put the big industrial fans on horses with bad IBH will just stand there, you know, like a cover girl kind of a model <laughs> air blowing. Um, because I think it really does help keep the gnat population down. And then I do, I don't necessarily do immunotherapy and allergy testing only for culicoides because I don't think it's that successful for a purely culicoides horse. But I think a lot of these horses are twofers. They have IBH and they have atopy. And so I think if you get the good fly control to try to manage the IBH as much as you can uh, with topicals, with the sheets, with all the things we talked about, and then you do the immunotherapy to manage the allergies that are going on, then you kind of get that nice twofer effect and you, and you have better control of these horses. I'm just going to say, I think ultra boss is like the coolest name I've heard for a product. So like you're talking and I'm like, that was an, a genius name. Ultra boss. So Who would want to use that? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I agree. I think so. A lot of times when we're skin testing and we put kilocoides in, it's more that we think it's a portion of the problem. I think really avoidance is the best thing that you can do in, in cases that would be solely that. Um, the last question I have, and this can just be a, a brief overview. You don't have to dive too much into them. Um, when I think of horses and I think of infectious diseases, the other two things that come to mind, and we're going to talk about this next week with other large animals as well, um, is dermatophilosis and dermatophytosis. So yeah. just quick overview. Do you feel like you see that a lot in horses and maybe just some, um, treatment options that we have available? Yeah. I know they're two different things. Oh, sure. I mean, I think as a dermatologist, I don't see a lot of dermatophilosis, which is rain rot, right? Colloquially, yeah. But as a disease in horses, probably the most common skin disease in horses is rain rot. And I can think about growing up, my pony growing up had it every spring, right? So, you know, it just happens because of the maceration, the skin and the bacteria gets in there. Unfortunately, the greatest treatment in the world, lime sulfur, is no longer on the market. It is broken. It has broken my heart. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do um, because that's. If Alter Boss leaves, you're done. I, I'll have nothing to do. I don't even, I don't know what I'm going to do for treatment. So, I mean, it's, we're going to come up with new things and I need to have a different spiel for how I tell people how to treat things. Um, but I do think again, the chlorhexidine and myconazole kinds of products are really nice for rain rot in horses. The big thing there is clean and dry when it comes to even like scratches and distal limb stuff in horses, when it comes to rain rot, clean and dry is really the critical thing for getting those horses back. So if you can clip the coat and keep them clean and dry, that's important. If you can peel the scabs, sometimes it really hurts. So be careful. Don't stand behind them. Also remember those scabs are infectious. So don't like sweep them into the stall of the horse next door, unless you don't happen to like that horse or something of that nature. Um, but I think topicals work super duper well. And I usually recommend people do the, the sprays or the shampoos shampoo, if you can, cause it can really get in close and into the crust. I think that works really well for dermatophilosis. If you see ringworm in horses, I think there's usually two big reasons. One, that horse has some other problem. So Cushing's is a great example. If you're worried that a horse is insulin resistant or has Cushing's, that predisposes them to getting ringworm. Um, if the horse has other systemic issues, maybe it's going through a lot of founder or it's colic a lot or poor nutrition. I see a lot in rescue horses. So that's another thing. And then the other time I see ringworm is when it's shared on tack 
the sort of girth itch that you might see. So if it's a, a lesson barn that has all the ponies are sharing the same boots or the same girth, that kind of thing. That's another time I see ringworm just from, you know, fomite transmission. And the same kind of thing, topical azoles are great. I, I rarely go for systemics for ringworm because systemic antifungals in horses are expensive and kind yeah. of a pain in the butt. Um, usually what I say is if there's a, a physical reason why that horse has ringworm, like it's not doing well, feed it, you know, or get the Cushing's under control, get the primary problem under control. And if you're in that, you know, lesson situation, clean your tech, clean that tech thoroughly, treat the area topically with your favorite Azol or even Vetricin of choice, and then make sure that the root cause of the problem has been addressed. I think that's a big one. That's awesome. And I think it's important. Yeah. When we think about these infectious things that get diagnosed, same with uh, a lot of small animal, right? Like if they're I've seen older dogs who have undiagnosed Cushing's are not regulated, really bad diseases. And then they break out easily with something like dermatophytosis or, you know, really bad infection. So always thinking the underlying cause is like a hallmark motto of dermatology. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been so nice kind of hearing something different and learning a little bit about equine. Um, and I'm sure people will get a lot of tidbits from your information. Um, and then, you know, we're going to learn about, uh, some other, animals, some other farm animals next week. So we'll encourage everyone else to tune in. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Horses are awesome. Horse derm is great. So if you're a horse vet out there, the skin rules and dermatologists love talking about it. So get in contact with us. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Miller, so much. You can definitely tell how passionate she is about this topic. And I think it's really awesome just to recognize all the different diseases that we see in horses. I can speak from my own experience, skin testing them, how well they can do with immunotherapy and how we can really help be preventative with some of the issues that they have. You heard us talk all about things like, you know, insect control, things like that. If you enjoy seeing different content on the podcast, please reach out and let me know. Leave a good review on the podcast, whatever platform you listen to, because that inevitably really helps us reach more veterinarians. And I love bringing you guys fresh new content so you can really enhance your dermatology practice.